sing it with me if you know it. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tide that binds because you're mine. I walk the line. Great, 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 great. That is an awesome way to start a message. Did you pick up on those words? I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. That was beautiful. Hitting those low notes. Wow, good stuff. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line, except he didn't. He couldn't, and I can't, and you can't either. Neither could the Apostle Paul. Uh, just listen to this. It's referred to as the Romans 7 dilemma. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do not do what I want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. 
who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is God's word. Johnny Cash came to Memphis because he wanted to be a gospel singer. However, the head of Sun Records, Sam Phillips, did not want Johnny Cash to be a gospel singer. He wanted Johnny Cash to be the next Elvis. Rock and roll was where it was at. That's what paid the bills. And so Johnny Cash did what he had to do. But Cash never let go of his desire to record gospel music. He kept pushing, and his boss kept resisting. It became a point of tension and eventually Johnny would leave Sun Records to record with Columbia, where he would finally be able to release his first full gospel album in 1958. Ah, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. You see, Johnny Cash was able to figure out a way to sneak a gospel song past Sam Phillips and probably past you as well. It was shortly after his career at Sun Records began to take off the heavy touring began, and the money started flowing in, and Cash quit his job selling appliances, which he was really lousy at anyway, and he moved his wife Vivian into a bigger house, and Johnny Cash was becoming a rock star. But all was not well on the home front. Richard Beck relays the account in his book, Trains, Jesus, and Murder. $15.29 on Amazon. It is a great, great read, and it's also supplying much for our message series. But Beck writes, with music success came domestic stress. Vivian wanted a tranquil and conventional domestic life. And while the money was nice, she had no desire whatsoever to be married to a rock and roller. John, for his part, very much wanted to be a music star. As he grew more successful, their visions of the future diverged. Vivian wanted John at home, and John wanted to be in the studio or on the road playing to bigger and bigger crowds. Vivian also worried about John's faithfulness to their wedding vows. She had seen how the young girls were responding to Elvis, and so she had reason to be worried. And so wanting to reassure Vivian, Cash composed for her an ode to faithfulness. I walk the line. I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day's through. Yes, I'll admit I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. Well, I'm not sure if those words reassured Vivian, but the song became a smash hit. The greatest, in fact, of Cash's career. Everyone loved it, especially Sam Phillips. But little did he know that Johnny Cash had snuck in a gospel tune without Sam knowing it. I Walk the Line is really a crypto gospel song with two meanings. On the surface, it's an expression of romantic allegiance to a singer's spouse. But it was also intended to be a pledge of faithfulness to God. 
During an interview just months before his death, Cash shared, Sam never knew it, but I Walk the Line was my first gospel hit. The great irony, of course, is that Johnny Cash didn't walk the line. He didn't keep his promise to Vivian or to God. He drifted away from both. Michael Gilmore observes that the song claimed an impossible ideal for Cash. He was not an unswerving man. In fact, he strayed a lot into rebellion, into addictions, into faithfulness of many sorts. Cash's close friend, Merle Haggard, agrees, saying, Johnny Cash was out of line. I walked the line, it was kind of ludicrous for him to sing. He'd never walked the line. Broken promises, guilt, unfaithful husband and father. Cash sought relief in the form of amphetamines. The pills helped him escape the feelings of guilt, but they also pulled him away from his family, which led to more guilt, which led to more pills. Johnny Cash continued to spiral deeper and deeper into a self-destructive cycle, which led him to divorce and on the brink of suicide. But as Richard Beck points out, if the gospel according to Johnny Cash is anything, it's not about his ability or our ability to walk the line. The gospel isn't about our faithfulness to God. It's about God's faithfulness to us. Johnny Cash couldn't walk the line, nor can you or I or anyone else. But God walks the line for us. God's grace would find Johnny Cash. Much of it came to him in the form of June Carter, who would become the love of his life. June would walk Johnny back into the light. He and his first wife, Vivian, would eventually reconcile a friendship. Cash would eventually reconcile with his four daughters. Forgiveness and healing and redemption would come for Johnny Cash. What about you? What about the promises that you've made? What about your faithfulness to God? Well, hold on to that thought for just a moment, but hold on loosely, because I want to show you something really wonderful, and here it is. It's Hesed. What a beautiful word. It's Hebrew. It's a word that describes the faithfulness of God. Hesed refers to God's mercy, his covenantal loyalty and kindness and commitment to his people. Hesed is God singing, I walk the line to us. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. He walks the line. Well, this morning, I'd like you to see that by walking all the way back to the time of Abraham. 
God made a promise to Abraham, but it most definitely involves you too. Uh, we find the promise in Genesis chapter 15, but before we get into it, we should really define a big biblical term, and that is covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is kind of like a contract, or at least that's the closest way I can describe it briefly. We don't do covenants today. We do contracts. Uh, two people, uh, parties, make an agreement, and they, they seal it by doing what? What do we do? We, we sign. We sign. And when we sign, that makes it official. Now, of course, there are consequences if you break the contract. But those consequences don't come into play if you don't sign. Nor does the contract have any effect without a signature. But when we sign, it's sealed. Good things happen if we keep the contract, and bad things will happen if we break the contract. When you sign, you're saying that you're going to uphold your end of the deal. It's an agreement. I'm going to do my part, and you're going to do your part. Uh, we sign to pay for things, you know, a house, you know, sign a lot, or a car, or use a credit card, right? You, you sign, a promise is made, I'm going to pay. And if I don't, there's going to be penalties. That's how it works today. Not so back in Genesis 15. Now, back in Bible times, they had a lot more effective way of doing things. They, they didn't sign on a dotted line. How wimpy. No, they, they took an oath or made a covenant by one another by doing something very, very descriptive. They acted out the consequences or the curse. See, we live in a written culture. Abraham lived in an oral or storytelling culture. And so here's the story from Genesis chapter 15. It is fascinating. For God promises that he is going to give Abraham a land, a son, and through that heir, a nation. And through that nation, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Through his line, the Messiah will come and bring salvation. That is quite a promise. But here's the thing. When God said this, Abraham and wife were already uh, getting up there in age and were childless. God makes this promise to old Abe that he's going to have so many descendants, uh, numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, admittedly, the circumstances do not look good. Uh, he is somewhere between 75 and 85 years old at the time, and his wife is only 10 years younger. So it's not very realistic. Actually, it's physically impossible. And so Abraham asks a very real question. How will I know? How do I know you're telling the truth, you know? And God answers Abraham by saying, get a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. Well, Abraham uh, does, and he immediately knows what is about to happen. He knows that a covenant is about to be made. And so he takes the animals and slaughters them. He, then he cuts them in half, right down the middle. And then he lays the pieces out on the ground, separating the animal, one half from the other. 
And then there's an aisle that is wide enough to walk through. And it's bloody and it's messy. Okay, what's going on here? Pastor Tim Keller explains. He says, well, this is how they did it. A king might do this with a neighboring ruler as a peace treaty. Or a master might make this type of covenant with a servant. For example, let's say a servant goes to his master and he is in need of some money to buy a field. He needs upfront money. And so the boss or the master loans it to him with the understanding, of course, that the servant is going to have to pay him back, pay the money back. But they don't write up a contract. They cut up a cow or a goat in half and they, they lay the pieces out. And then the servant walks the line, walks through the pieces, walks down the aisle. Now, sometimes they might walk together, or first one and then the other, but typically just the borrower, not the lender, would go through. And so the servant walks through the pieces, meaning this. Here's the point. If I don't pay you back, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, May I be slaughtered. May I be ripped apart. May I be cut off. May my blood be spilt. May I die, such as this goat or lamb or whatever animal it was that they sacrificed for the covenant. And so God says to Abraham, I will bless you. I will be your God and you and your offspring will be my people. Abraham lays the pieces out. Then what happens next is this dreadful darkness descends on Abraham. He's kind of in this trance kind of a thing. And this thick, dreadful darkness it kind of comes over him. And then God tells him some very disturbing news that his descendants in the future are going to be slaves in Egypt. Remember that? For 400 years. And then here comes a smoking pot blazing torch kind of thing comes on the scene. And the word for this smoking pot blazing torch is the exact same word to describe God's presence when he came down in the cloud on Mount Sinai. It's also the same word for God's presence when he was in the tabernacle as a fiery or a cloudy pillar. In other words, the smoking pot blazing torch kind of a thing is God. And here's the amazing part. Because it is God who passes through the pieces. What's he doing? Well, he is saying to Abraham... I will keep my promise. And if I don't, I will be cut off. I will be ripped open. I will be sacrificed. I will bleed and I will die. And that's really an amazing thing for you know, God to make a promise with, with a man. It's strange because the king doesn't usually walk through the pieces. The, the servant walks through the pieces. But God does. He goes through the pieces. Okay, and maybe you hear this, we see this, and I don't know, maybe you just kind of go, yeah. That doesn't really shock 
discuss all that much. I mean, was it that big of a risk, really, for God to make a promise knowing that God is God and it's impossible for him to lie? And so, you know, we kind of expect, well, that's easy for him. He's God, you know, he keeps his word. Okay, but hold on, because here is where it gets better. It's all because of what doesn't happen. You see, it's only God who walks through the pieces. God doesn't tell Abraham to do it. God doesn't pass through and then say, okay, Abraham, now you do your part. Abraham isn't instructed to walk the line. This is pure gospel. Do you get it? Do you see how awesome God is? Do you see what God is doing? God goes through for the both of them. God is saying that he will keep the promise for both of them. He's saying to Abraham and to his heirs, meaning you, I will keep my end of the deal, and if I don't, I will be cut off. But, but if you don't keep your promise, I will be cut off as well. This absolutely blows me away. Because we know that God will keep his end of the deal. He will keep his word, but the problem is our end of things. We know that we can't keep our promise. He will be our God. We get that. But what about us? I don't know about you, but I bet I do. But I'll tell you that Paul's words are my words. They, they strike a chord with me. I don't get it. I don't understand what I do. <laughs> what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. It's your Romans 7 dilemma. Johnny Cash knew it all too well. He saw that quote, right? Such a great quote. So I'm two people, and, you know, Johnny's the nice one, and Cash causes all the trouble, and they fight, yeah. <laughs> we get it. We get it. We all know about the trouble within we want to walk the line. We want to. But we get tripped up. And we fall and we fail. We break our promise. Our willpower is very wimpy. So we, we drift. We... But God goes through the pieces alone. He goes it alone because he knows our every weakness. And yet he still wants us. He still loves us. God walks the line for us. We don't have to do our part. There's no part to do. You see, salvation is not a cooperative effort. 
It's not a God helps those who help themselves kind of a thing. It's not a partnership when it comes to salvation. God says, I will take the curse of the covenant for both of us. There will be justice. There will be justice. God is a just God. (laughs) But he'll take the justice. He'll take the punishment. He will be cut off. What he's saying is, I will bless you even if I have to die. And so it was. It was about the sixth hour. A dreadful darkness fell upon him. The sun had stopped shining. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. Isn't it cool the way the Bible works? <laughs> Ripped in half. Jesus, who is the curtain, who is the temple, who is the sacrifice, who is the priest? Jesus was paying for our broken promises. He suffered the consequences. He was walking the line. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood. Promise kept for all of us. (laughs) Don't you see how much God loves you? (laughs) He keeps his end. And he keeps our end of the covenant. He pays the price. The blood of Jesus is the proof. It is his signature. God keeps his word. Sins forgiven. Once for all. Bought. Paid for. In full. It is finished. And so Paul's words are my words and your words. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is the song that we sing. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How great is his faithfulness. How amazing is his love. How great. You're connected to Jesus, and that's very good news indeed. Don't ever, ever, ever think that you can somehow outsin his grace. It's offensive, actually. You can't do it. It's, you, it's impossible for you to do it. You can't outsin his grace. Can't do it. All of your sin, past, present, future, was upon him. He pays it. Your sin, my sin the world's sin, and all of God's wrath for that sin was upon him. He walked the line for us. Get it? Get it? Get the gospel. He walked the line for me. He walked the line for you. How awesome is Jesus? Very. God walked the line for me, and he walked the line for you. Because he wants to walk with you. Today, he reminds us again, through the new covenant in his blood, 
he made a promise. His blood for our forgiveness. This morning, you're invited to walk the new line. It's not a line for acting out a curse. That's been removed once and for all. Rather, it is a line leading to life and blessing and forgiveness and love and mercy and hesed. His promise still stands. He keeps his word. Listen to his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. And it is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Come, walk the line, receive your Savior and his blessing. Amen.